This episode is brought to you by FastBitcoins.com. FastBitcoins.com allows you to buy Bitcoin easily and safely in physical locations in the UK, Canada, and Estonia, and they're expanding quickly. They are the world's first cash-to-lightning exchange, delivering your Bitcoins right over the Lightning Network. They also have integrations with Samurai Wallet and Breeze Lightning Wallet, and more coming soon. Fast Bitcoins offers users the ability to stack sats without giving up too much personal information, and the business never holds customers' Bitcoins. Find Fast Bitcoins vouchers on BitRefill and physical point-of-sale retail outlets in a growing number of places. Check out the FastBitcoins.com interactive map to find the location nearest you. Hello, Bitcoiners. My name is Ansel Lindner, and this is Bitcoin and Markets. On this show, we honestly explore Bitcoin to the best of our ability. We take a look at stats, metrics, the tech, and the economics behind it all. My goal is to stay ahead of the curve and to take you along with me. Thanks for joining me. Let's go. All right, Bitcoiners, welcome back. Another week in the history books for Bitcoin. It was a wild week for price, actually. Uh, Several times I was seeing good things and then several times I was seeing bad things. The news, I think the overriding news in the markets in general right now are centered around the Fed, the trade wars, the impending, you know, the everybody can feel the global economy is slowing down, even though the official numbers, the data driven numbers that the Fed is supposed to go by, they aren't showing that. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, yeah, what else do we have? We have a few news items from around the space, of course. We'll talk about price and mining and all the Bitcoin stuff for sure. Don't forget to, wherever you listen to this, subscribe. Give us a thumbs up if you're listening on YouTube or wherever. Give us a rating over there on iTunes. That helps people find the show. And also, don't forget our supplemental newsletter that comes out every Friday, Um, Within a few hours of the show, it has all my charts, it has a bunch of headlines and links and my commentary about the space in general. So run out there, go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash report and sign up for that. And lastly, if you want to support me monetarily, support me making content, help me make more content, uh, help me spend more time on the show, then sign up for Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and markets. You become a member. You can get member privileges on our Discord server, all of that stuff. Um, plus, I do put out uh, some more content over there. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. All right, guys, let's get into the eToro price talk. eToro is the world's leading social trading platform. You can interact with other traders, follow successful traders, get followed yourself. You can even start with a free demo account. Use my link in the show notes. Okay, so price right now on Bitstamp, we're sitting at $10,465. $10, we had a wild, wild week. Last week, uh, I on the fundamentals report, I have now this new Bitcoin market indicator, and um, I was slightly bearish, um, and that did play out at the beginning of that week. So throughout the weekend, we did go lower. We hit almost an exact double bottom and bounced bounced off. So it was looking very much like it was going to go and touch my 8,500 target. Um, but then we had a really nice bounce. As like this whole week of the Fed and some uncertainty in the markets, um, you know, 
the stock market started, it rallied at first at the beginning of the week and then it fell off. And um, the reason why I mentioned that is just for the risk on versus risk off type environment. You know, I think that some traders, their expectations uh, do run uh, with the global markets in general. So it's it's interesting to watch uh, how it does react because we aren't in a bubble. Um, we are in a bubble a little bit as a Bitcoin community, but, uh, you know, Bitcoin is starting to break into the mainstream. Now, Trump and Powell have talked about it back to back. Libra is bringing it on to everybody's, uh, into everybody's consciousness. So Bitcoin is definitely becoming a player. Also, the uh, Bank of China released this infographic. I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, I do link to it in the, the report this week, but the Bank of China has this really nice infographic that I can't read it, but it's, uh, from what I'm told, it says what Bitcoin is, the history of it, uh, how does it work, etc. So, I mean, this is on the tip of everybody's tongue and lots and lots of people are starting to take it much more seriously as a part of the currency wars. Okay. Bitcoin is going to become part of the currency wars. All right. Um, what more about price? We, we jumped through several resistance areas. All of the moving averages that I'm watching, uh, we jumped right through them. Uh, the, 20 EMA and the 50 EMA on the daily looked like they were about to cross, but uh, then the price jumped right through that area, went right through all of the resistance that was uh, overhead. And yeah, so now it looks like these these um, exponential moving averages will not cross. What else? Um, so it's, it is going to take a little bit more time to get back down. Um, there could be some bad news come out that keeps this price down. The volume is low, so that isn't very reassuring or it doesn't confirm the breakout. I mean, we have had lots of, um, upward moves with low volume, but breakouts in general, um, those will have more volume behind them. And I consider this kind of a breakout, uh, especially of, some significant resistance. So um, we should have seen much more volume, which we didn't. Um, maybe, you know, this is setting up for the next leg down, right? Like I've, I said in the, the previous uh, episode uh, was that uh, what matters is the marginal buyer and the marginal seller, the marginal trader or whatever, however you want to uh, phrase that. And the whales will push the price whichever way is easier. And after this last weekend, when we were going down to hit that double bottom, um, more and more people were lining up on the bearish side. Like, we are going to go down to this 8,500. Everybody start talk, started talking about it. I've been talking about it for a month, but everybody started piling into this 8,500 target. And uh, I think that was uh, telling the whales that, hey, we can push this up right now because everybody's short, right? And it'll just squeeze squeeze a lot of people. So that is what I think of the price. Now, going forward, I think that we probably will see um, a, a continuation to the downside. This this structure of the market hasn't been broken. We do see a very nice Adam and Eve on the daily, if you take a look at that, uh, going back from middle of middle of this month through now, you know, we have the very nice Adam and Eve. So uh, maybe that plays out. Maybe we go up, but I think it is still more likely to go down. 
Um, in the short term, though, I think we're still slightly bullish uh, from this breakout, and we might make it all the way up to 10,800 before we do see a continuation of the downward momentum. But there's okay, but, but before I go in here, uh, I got into a little back and forth on Twitter. Now, Vortex, he's been a friend of the show and a friend of mine for uh, several years now. Um, I don't talk to him regularly, but you know, he's, I support what he's doing and he supports what I'm doing. And, uh, he's been posting some charts of breakouts and other things. And, uh, some people were saying like, you know, this is voodoo magic. Okay. Well, TA, I mean, it depends what you mean by TA, right? What do you mean by technical analysis? Let me look up the book definition here. Okay. So technical analysis by Investopedia means uh, or is a trading discipline employed to evaluate investments and identify trading opportunities by analyzing statistical trends gathered from trading activity, such as price movement and volume. Unlike fundamental analysts who attempt to evaluate a security's intrinsic value, which intrinsic value does not exist, uh, technical analysts focus on patterns of price movements, trading signals, and various other analytical charting tools to evaluate a security's strength or weakness. Okay, so it depends what you mean by technical analysis, whether it's hocus-pocus voodoo or not. I fall into the camp that um, it's not 100% hocus-pocus. I mean, there are a lot of charlatans out there. There's a lot of scammers that will try to sell you their courses and other things when, um, you know, A, you don't need that. And B, like they are not going to be right most of the time. Um, uh, I think that you can get information from past price movements. You have to get more information. And for the JWs out there in the world, um, you know, this is strictly keeping in the Austrian school of thought, right? I see a lot of these uh, Bitcoin Austrians or Neo Austrians, I call them, that are totally against technical analysis. But uh, all the way back from Mises and Hayek, uh, they wrote about specifically uncertainty and, you know, being certain about the future in a certain way, how you learn, right? You make decisions and you learn from your mistakes and you try to correct them in the future. Um, and the future is not 100% unknown, right? I know that human behavior is going to be a certain way. Uh, I don't know the exact precise way that human behavior is going to happen. Like, I don't know what your specific choice is in a certain situation. Um, but I know if I drop you into the water, you're going to tread water if you can swim. <laughs> so um, the future is not 100% unknown. And anybody who says that TA is 100% hocus pocus, that we can't know anything about the future from studying the past, is either deluded or a scammer themselves. I mean, human psychology is is uh, reliable in a way. So I'll bring in the shelling point again, right? The idea of a shelling point where the experiment was that they asked a, a class, I think it was of NYU students, and they asked them, hey, if you were going to meet somebody in New York City, um, where and when would you go if you could not communicate with them? And it was something like 40 or 50% of them said Grand Central Station at noon at the information desk or something like that. So uh, that was the shelling point, okay? This, this point where most people will end up. 
And that's why Bitcoin is a shelling point for this space, because it is the point that most people return to. It is the denominator, the common denominator of the space. So this is a psychological thing, right? Game theory is a psychological thing. And uh, you can't know the, what the individual person will do, but you can increase your chances of being correct, right? You can be wrong for the correct reasons and you can be correct for the correct reasons. You can also be correct for the wrong reasons. And so uh, <laughs> this is getting crazy, but the, the people that say that TA is 100% hocus pocus, they are either ignorant or they're scammers. I'm, I'm telling you, that's what it is. Uh, I'm backed up on this by, uh, great minds of the past. And I had a tweet thread with, uh, JW that I explained this, that, uh, people that say you are a hundred percent uncertain of the future. Are they certain about that? Are they certain that they will be certain about that in the future? Right? So the future is not a hundred percent uncertain for sure. But okay. I digress. I hope I didn't say <laughs> certain and uncertain too much, but yeah, technical analysis is not hocus pocus. It is, there is some things behind it. Now, what do I find most useful? I got this question on the discord as well. Uh, what do I find most useful in technical analysis? I mean, I'm not right a hundred percent of the time, but I think I'm right a majority of the time, at least on kind of the direction and some of these things. And yes, these are things that you have to, uh, it's, it's like hitting a moving target, right? You're moving and the target's moving and you got to hit the moving target. So it is uh, a little bit difficult. It is, uh, not a perfect science or anything. Um, you have to adjust along the way. I remember this one tweet a couple weeks ago, uh, this guy who runs a trading group, I'm not sure exactly what his name was or anything, but he was saying, oh, this is a no brainer this certain trade that he was uh, on Bitcoin. This was a no brainer. And I think it was bullish and I've been bearish for a while. So I was like, um, you know, hope, do you have a stop loss? I, that was my question to him and <laughs> no response. But then, um, a couple hours later it had fallen, right. And significantly it passed where I thought a, st a logical stop loss would be. And, um, I said, Oh, I hope you did have a stop loss. And he responded, Oh, you idiot. I've been in and out a, a dozen trades since I tweeted that. <laughs> I mean, that is the, that is a scammer. Okay. Um, somebody that's trying to sell you on his prediction ability when he says a no brainer and then it turns around and he was perfectly exactly wrong on it. Um, that to me says, you know, that's a scammer, but, uh, for me, it's a probabilistic game here. So if I'm saying most likely it will go up here or most likely it will go down, um, you also have to have a stop loss. Always have a stop loss. I don't recommend trading, but I know people will trade and I know a lot of listeners are traders. People want to gamble. They want to trade and it, it's better odds. I think if you use basic technical analysis mixed with fundamental analysis, it is much better odds than you'll find at a casino. It is much better odds than you'll find on a game of blackjack or a craps table or definitely a roulette wheel. Yeah, I think using basic technical analysis and fundamental analysis together, you're going to, it's, it's, you can put yourself in a better situation. Anyway, enough of that. So. That's all I have to say about price, uh, other than 
I am, like I said, slightly bullish over the next few days, but I think over the next week or two, we will continue a downward slide. Um, I would have to see some more confirmation come in. I would have to see some more volume. I would have to see a, a few more places of resistance broken or some support levels uh, giving the price more support. So that's that's what I'm looking at. Okay, let's move on to mining. Wow, guys, mining has taken off. The hash rate has exploded again. The next difficulty adjustment is going to happen like Sunday night, it looks like, and it is um, estimated at over 8% right now. So that's pretty huge. This would be one indicator that uh, on the fundamental side that this breakout is legit. So we didn't see maybe the trading volume pop, but we did see the hash rate pop. So uh, that this is a confirmation of some sort of price breakout. But it also could be that uh, one of the big uh, manufacturers had a delivery and now that uh, people are turning over their machines and they're able to crank up their hash rate, uh, you know, by 10% or 20% or something like that. So um, all in all, this isn't like as good of a confirmation as volume, trading volume, but it, it is something. Uh, definitely for the price. Another story here around mining is Canaan. They are a ASIC manufacturer. They fought off Bitmain's monopoly a couple years ago. A lot of people were supporting them. I believe they were a rebranded previous company. I don't know if it was Spondulis or um, one of the others. It is a rebranding of an older company, I'm pretty sure. But uh, So they have a long history here. And they have now filed kind of covertly for a U.S. IPO. That's interesting. So they, they are beating Bitmain now to the IPO game. And uh, that's good. We want these businesses to, I mean, I don't like the fact that there's regulations behind all this. But, um, you know, we want these companies to be more legitimate. And if in this time and place, they need to go through their IPO stuff. So. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what comes of this, what kind of um, price they'll have, uh, but it does give people another way to invest in Bitcoin, right? In in gold, there are the uh, buying physical or buying the gold miners, and in the future, it'll be the same thing for Bitcoin. You can um, be able to buy the Bitcoin or you can buy stock in the company, which will have some sort of you know, revenue generation and, and cash flow attached to it. So that's all for mining. Let's hit the Lightning Network. All right, on the Lightning side of the house, the Lightning Network side of the house, we have a announcement from Blockstream, which has brought us the Liquid Sidechain, the Bitcoin Satellite, amongst other things. So they, they have a lot of good stuff. There's two things coming um from Blockstream this week. One is that they are uh, moving Tether onto Liquid. So you will be able to, instead of the Omni layer and Ethereum, because Tether has kind of moved about, nah, I think like 40 or 50% onto Ethereum now, um, it can also move onto Liquid Sidechain, which is more robust, I believe, than any other solution out there right now. So Tether moving onto Liquid is pretty cool. But they also announced that you can open and close lightning channels on the sidechain. So that is pretty awesome. 
one of the big um, criticisms of the Lightning Network has always been that, you know, it requires two transactions to open and close a channel. So yes, you can use that channel for multiple transactions, but you always have to have an opening and a closing transaction. There have been a lot of different solutions out there from channel factories to new uh, state chains that uh, is a new idea out there, um, as well as just batching of transactions. So you would be able to uh, open several channels at the same time or, or something like that, or close and open a channel so you could uh, make it uh, one instead of two transactions. So there's a lot of different things. I even saw um, the first successful single transaction used to open two separate channels, like completely separate. So two people uh, formed a transaction and opened up channels independently for themselves with that single transaction. That is pretty amazing. So um, there's a lot of stuff going on. So think about this, Tether on Liquid and Lightning on Liquid, you can use Tether on Lightning. That is pretty fantastic. Uh, instant settlement for that kind of stuff. Uh, even though Tether is a centralized thing, um, you know, it being able to use Tether on uh, Liquid with Lightning Network, that is some powerful, powerful stuff. Um, so Tether is not going away, people. Tether, New York is not going to stop Tether. Tether is just going to keep getting bigger. I think it's up to four or five billion now in Tether. It is going to quickly become the number two or the number one altcoin. Um, uh, Ethereum, let me just touch on that too real quick. So Ethereum uh, has been sliding again against Bitcoin. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but um, yeah, it's it's testing its lows in the Bitcoin price. Uh, there is no real support until another 50% drop versus Bitcoin. So um, yeah, Ethereum is uh, on its way out. And I think Tether and Liquid is on its way in. It would be really interesting um, to start quoting some stats about Liquid Bitcoins, just like Lightning Bitcoins. Again, I think there's roughly 3,000 um, Bitcoins in the Lightning Network. And that those are that's an estimate because we only know some of that. Uh, there's only ways to find out some of that. Well, Liquid Bitcoin should be, we should be able to see the pegged transactions in and out so we will know exactly what uh, is in there, but transactions within that are also, you can use confidential transactions. So that's much uh, a huge privacy gain. Um, it's awesome that Tether's on there and you can use everything here with the Lightning Network. So uh, pretty damn cool stuff on the Liquid sidechain. Okay, so let's hit the news, guys. All right, big news week. I'm gonna try to go fast. There's two main stories that I want to cover, and then I'll, I'll kind of finish up with a few smaller stories. So the first one is Happy Bitcoin Independence Day. Two years ago, on August 1st, 2017, Bitcoin declared its independence from central planners and social attacks. It maintained its independence while also implementing SegWit network update and enabled massive scaling in a layered fashion like the internet itself. The central weapon was BIP-148, or also known as the User Activated Soft Fork, UASF. It was a user-proposed, user-supported, decentralized network not supported by the core developers, big business, or miners. That's why it showed that this is a decentralized network. So happy Bitcoin Independence Day. Cheers to all my 
fellow fighters, freedom fighters back then. Um, it was amazing to be a part of it. I know I'll be telling my kids and my grandkids this story as they get older that I was there on Bitcoin Independence Day. So thank you to everybody. Second story is Chairman Powell came out and he cut rates by 25 basis points or the target federal funds interest rate. He cut that by 25 basis points. Now, how does that affect the rest of the market? Well, that is like the shortest term uh, interest rate there is, right? That's the overnight window, what banks lend to each other, what the Fed lends to other banks. And so that is like the basis that everything else is built on. Um, instead of a basis of like normal floating interest rates where, uh, um, you know, the free market and the available capital for investment is actually dictating the interest rates. It is a centralized socialist set rate. They are setting the price of money at the base level and then everything else is built on top of that. So the Fed cut interest rates. And usually what this means is that they're, uh, you know, the entire complex, the entire economy uh, can uh, more cheaply borrow money and the credit can be expanded. So that's supposed to be stimulative to the economy. All right. Um, now, Trump for a long time has been pushing and pushing to get this rate cut. Um, there was a little bit of theater. Powell represents, even though he's a Trump appointee, he represents the interests of the powerful elite in the country, the bankers, the big time power elite that control the money. And so there is some realness to Trump versus Powell, the back and forth, but at the same time, they kind of are on the same team. All right. So it is a little bit of theater. Now, Trump has been pushing Powell for the last few months to cut rates. Um, he, Trump also wanted 50 basis points and he only got 25 basis points. So uh, he immediately uh, went out and started badgering again. Um, but uh, I, I have some reaction to this and I did put this in the, the report so you can see it written down. But um, I just want to go through some of my uh, reaction to this. First and foremost is the political pressure. It shows that the Fed is, or at least appears that the Fed is uh, vulnerable to political pressure because all of the data was positive. Inflation was on target. Employment was on target. Everything in the economy that they look at is on target. There's a few here and there numbers, official numbers that uh, were kind of low. But it wasn't at all like you look at the numbers and you're like, oh, they need to have some accommodative measures to help this market because it looked like steady, like the GDP number was really good. Official GDP number, the official unemployment, the official inflation, all of this was really good. So if it's, it's data driven. Um, what they've they've showed here is that they've completely abandoned that. And in the Powell press conference after this announcement. He said, like, um, you know, this was kind of an insurance type cut. Uh, they are trying to head off any sort of weakening in the future and they see weakening from the broader global economy. And so they want to get ahead of the, the ball here. Um, to me, that's a huge policy misstep because they have totally abandoned their data driven nature to preempting the market preempting this. Um, he tried to play it off that they are just continuing the same 
kind of policy trajectory that they've had all year. Uh, first, they stopped their hiking schedule. Then they had a long period of pause, and now they have one cut. So it's kind of it's kind of in the same trajectory of the rest of the year. But that's not the case because all the data is good, right? Anyway, um, another point here is that they are admitting weakness and vulnerability to the currency war. Um, the exact quote was something like, the main player was the global market, other central banks, and trade, that these things kind of um, pushed the Fed to do this. So they're admitting weakness, that they are not the leaders here. They are uh, trying to guess the future and reacting to it. Um, so that is uh, a huge admission, I think. Uh, they are admitting weakness and vulnerability in the currency war. Next point destruction of forward guidance. And in the press conference, many, many people, I think half the questions out of, I think there was like maybe 20 questions, half of them were on what what about forward guidance now? What should we expect for the future? And all he kept saying was, we are on this trajectory. That is our forward guidance, what we've done in the past, not necessarily what we're going to do in the future. And everybody was uncomfortable with it. You could tell like everybody was, even though everybody expected it, I think the market was expecting some numbers to come out before the Fed did this that showed we should be cutting. But those numbers never materialized. Whether they're true or not, that's another question. But, you know, it also calls into question the validity of their numbers in the first place. Like, you're telling us this is the official inflation rate, but are you lying? Are you, you know, you're telling us that this is the official unemployment rate. Are you lying to us? I mean, the Fed doesn't do the unemployment rate, but, you know, they they get, they validate it by using it as part of their policy. So um, the, the whole thing about forward guidance and their data and all of that, it, it is a big, huge question mark. And to me, it opened up the possibility of questioning this market, like the uncertainty in the market. Where are we going? Where are we you know, the uncertainty in the market. Anytime you increase uncertainty, you hamper prices, um, especially in things like stocks. But let me check out the current stock market here. Oh, man, we are diving, dive, 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 diving. Today, it's down over 1%. I think from the top, we're down about 2 or 3%. And uh, this is interesting. It's the, the steepest decline. Uh, in a long time, so this whole year basically is the steepest decline we've seen over a three-day period, um, which is very, very interesting. So, um, I think that this whole thing about no forward guidance now and uh, data—what happened to the data? Can we trust the data? Uh, you know, can we trust that the Fed is independent from the president? Um, all of this stuff brings into question this. Uh, all of these questions in the market, and I don't think that it's. Uh, going to work out well. This this could be the start of the next recession. Let me see what other points I have. The next point I have is uh, they're abdicating normalization of rates. They, you know, normal rates were supposed to be around 5%, give or take, in like a healthy economy. Um, They've totally given up on that 100%. We were at zero for how many years? And now it's, uh, you know, they can't even raise it past 3%. And a lot of people in my camp uh, were saying that they'll never be able to raise it again because the overwhelming debt burden on the country, right, or on the dollar. Uh, But they did it anyway, and 
the economy seemed to continue to expand for a while. Um, I don't really trust their numbers, by the way. There's that. But they're totally abdicating here normalization of rates. They will remain low forever. And when you are a fixed income investor, you know, your this is your pension or, or something like that, then 2% is not going to cut it. I think it's something like 7% that these pension funds and other things, they try to hit 7%. So what do they do? They have to pump in money into junk, junk bonds or more risky things like the stock market, right? So um, they are completely abdicating normalization of rates that they will remain low forever. And that is a very bad sign. Okay, next thing, and this is a kind of a unspoken or implicit uh, reaction I had was that people are questioning the existence of the Fed. I think the Fed is getting into an existential crisis. So they, they are no longer data dependent. They're admitting weakness. They've destroyed, destroyed their forward guidance. They've completely abdicated any sort of normalization of their policy. And they succumb to political pressure. Is there a reason for the Fed to exist? All of these things add together. It's not good. It's not looking good for the Fed. That makes me happy. But, um, you know, it's not looking good for them. And that means that, you know, they are the central, they are the only thing in the global economy that's holding this together, in my opinion. And so the next financial crisis, guys, it's closer than we think. I mean, it always seems like it's just around the corner. I understand that. But uh, I, I do think that it's it's not going to take another decade. Okay. Let me put it that way. It's going to be here before we know it. Stack your sats. Um, and that's that's about all I can say. Okay, that's all I have on the Fed. Let's move on to the next story. All right, next story we have is Square released their second quarter financial data on Thursday. And it showed $125 million in Bitcoin sales. And the entire Twitterverse or Bitcoin Twitter was all in a tizzy about this, you know, they're praising uh, Square and Cash App to the hilt. But I was re like reserving really praising them a lot because I don't really know what this number means. Is this net? Is this like $125 million net came into Bitcoin via Cash App? Or is this, you know, $125 million worth of Bitcoin was bought and maybe $130 million was sold. I don't know what this means. So they only have their number of sales. So I think we need to like reserve judgment on this yet. Uh, I, I like Cash App. They're better than Coinbase. You know, Coinbase uh, was where a lot of people went to live off their Bitcoin. They would go to Coinbase and cash out. Um, for living expenses and things. And now they can do that with Cash App. So again, I don't know what this number means. They, I need to have more clarity before I'm really super bullish about this. I think it's good. It's a great on-ramp. Also, another thing is, uh, you know, Cash App is for, it's the most downloaded uh, financial app, I guess, on Android. And when you look at it and you see Bitcoin in there, maybe you'll get curious and you'll buy a little couple hundred bucks or something like that and it goes up by a hundred dollars and then you sell it so i don't know i don't think these are strong hands buying on cash app um i've bought it a little bit on cash app so uh, there are customers that are going to be more strong hands but i think the m majority of the buyers on cash app are not strong hands so you know take that for what it's worth okay next story 
is the IRS sent out a bunch of letters to Bitcoin owners or customers of Coinbase. And this goes back to a earlier case, I think it was two years ago or so, that the IRS came knocking at Coinbase's door asking for a bunch of customer data. And they were initially supposed to hand over 30,000 people's data, but then they got it down to 20,000. And I think it was like for transactions over $10,000. So if you ever had a transaction over $10,000 on Coinbase, your records were handed over to the IRS. Um, now it looks like the IRS is sending out letters to 10,000 of these people, maybe the largest transactions out of this bunch, um, and saying, hey, you need to report your Bitcoin gains. I don't think they necessarily have anything on this. I mean, I think certain places in the government, do, they do have access to chain analysis and things, but I don't think the IRS does. I mean, I don't know what the percentage exactly of people that get audited. Um, and by the way, I, you guys should stay on top of your paperwork uh, for sure on all of this stuff and use your own risk management on this. But I don't think that they are really up on how to follow these and track these coins how you know are they going to like to me i would much rather go after some u.s dollar fraud than some bitcoin fraud right now because it is just already it's more expensive to go after bitcoiners so that's just my two cents um it's kind of seems like a phishing email i've heard that from a number of uh, sources that it resembled a phishing email. They just want you to respond to it. So take that for what it's worth as well. But this does hit, uh, I don't know if this is what's kicked off our, our talk about this on discord, uh, but we have been talking a lot about this type of topic right here. And my opinion is that in the future, Bitcoin is going to make taxing much more expensive right? So you still might be able to collect some taxes. Uh, the government might be able to, but it'll be much more expensive to do that versus, you know, today, like today you can garnish wages. You, you know, you just put it in a queue and it goes. And how do you do that with Bitcoin? Like, let's say you're uh, earning Bitcoin or you're just living off your Bitcoin and, you know, how do they collect taxes? I don't know that. I think it's going to be much, much more expensive. Uh, plus, if you take them to court and all they have is Bitcoin, like I know several people that have sold most of their possessions and their whole uh, life savings, basically, their whole net value is in their Bitcoin. And so how do they confiscate that from you? How do they make you pay them? How do they, the way they would pay for their court cases against you is by seizing your money right? Seizing your dollars or whatever. Um, but they, they can't do that with Bitcoin. And so you just need a few whales to refuse to pay. So if they're going to make an example out of some big whale, well, that's great. First off, the whale is going to be able to drag them through the longest court case that is going to cost the most money. And at the end of it, they don't have to pay them, right? They just go to jail for serve their time. And I'm not recommending that anybody do this. Pay your taxes, people. But you can see how this can be an attack vector on the government, right? That, the, I mean, the maximum penalty is five years or $100,000 and or $100,000 plus the fines and other money that you owe. But, I mean, if you have a billion dollars in Bitcoin and this is basically your entire net worth and then are you going to go to jail to protect? not pay the government say 500 million dollars in bitcoin 
I think some people will. And maybe the, the sentences will change. I don't know. But it makes enforcement much more expensive. It changes the whole power dynamic. But we've been talking about that a lot over there on Discord. So anyway, that's a wrap for this week, everybody. That's all of my news items, all of my price predictions, my ranting. I want to thank my sponsors, eToro and Fast Bitcoins, as well as my patrons. Without you guys, the show would not be possible. So thank you very much. I also want to thank the Discord guys over there, cutting it up, getting a little bit heated sometimes, but it's fun and we learn a lot from each other. So thank you, fellas. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, like, share, (laughs) share this with whoever you think would like this content. That's it for this week. Have a great weekend. Have some fun. Get outside in the sunshine. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace.